Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Kerfasi. Today, we're talking with Dr. Elizabeth Yurth about women's hormones. Here's a clip from today's show. If you're young, if you're 25, and you're somebody who has a family history of breast cancer, very likely you have a metabolism pathway that's sending your estrogens down a bad metabolite. And if we know that, we can do very simple things to change that metabolism. Same thing's true if I put you on hormones. If I put you on hormones and you took all that hormone and you metabolized it down a dangerous pathway, then likely I did cause cancer in you. But if I make sure it's all metabolizing down a safe pathway, then likely I protected you from cancer. That's just a small taste of the great show we've got coming up. Rupa Health is the best way to order, track, and get results from 20 plus lab companies in a single place. Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Elizabeth Yurth. Dr. Yurth is the founder of the Boulder Longevity Institute, where she currently serves as the medical director. Dr. Yurth is a graduate of the University of Southern California Medical School, where she finished at the top of her class with honors and is board certified in anti-aging and regenerative medicine from the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. Dr. Yurth has an extensive background in numerous areas with a primary focus on genomic interpretation and analysis, among many other things. So Dr. Yurth, it's a pleasure to have you here today. So excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you. I really appreciate being invited here and talking to you today. Of course, it's a pleasure to have you here. You have an amazing background and have clearly spent a lot of your career helping women and working in the field of hormones. So I want to just dive right in today and really get your feedback on how you manage to help your patients and people understand this sometimes very complex topic from a really simplified, say, 10,000-foot view perspective. Perfect. I love this, and it's a great topic, and it's going to be the root of everything in terms of health in my mind. So let's get people familiar with this until they really aren't scared of hormones, because that's the biggest problem we have right now. Absolutely. It's very true. People are scared of their own bodies, right? Well, I think that unfortunately, the propaganda around hormones and cancer has really just stuck with the general practitioners, right, who have then propagated that information to their patients. And so trying to dispel some of those myths has been a challenge and really, unfortunately, it's a detriment of women's health. So we have to get that out of people's heads. That's true. I can see how that happens. So when you approach patients with, again, this this topic of hormones and how people can address it, can you give somebody a just a very elementary explanation of how you approach the process of looking at their hormones or how they could look at their hormones from, again, just a very basic perspective. I think that the probably one of the misconceptions about hormones is you don't really start thinking about hormones until you're 50, right? And you start having issues. And unfortunately, hormones actually are sort of at their optimal at a very young age, and then they start changing. But even at a young age, we're doing a lot of things that are hormone disruptors. So we're seeing young males with low testosterone. We're seeing females who are on birth control pills. So their hormones are very, very messed up even after they stop the birth control pills. So one of the things we always try and encourage in our clinic is that you need to actually start thinking about hormones at a much younger age. It's not at 50 when all of a sudden you're mean and bitchy and can't lose weight. You really have to start looking at how they're affecting your impacting your health even at a young age. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about how hormones are metabolized. But ultimately, I think what, what oftentimes brings people in is something going wrong, right? They're either not sleeping or they're gaining weight or they're irritable. 
or their energy levels are bad or they just can't put on muscle. And that can happen in a 30-year-old and it can happen in a 60-year-old. It happens at different times for different people. And so when people come in with those complaints, one of the first things you have to look at is what is going on with their hormone levels. And remember, we all have, if you're a man or a woman, you have the same hormones. You just have them in different ratios, right? So we all have estrogen, we all have progesterone, and we all have testosterone. Those are main hormones. And then you've got, of course, the thyroid hormones, your adrenal hormones, cortisol, and DHEA. We'll focus on those sex hormones, the, the estrogens, the progesterones, and testosterones. We'll sort of focus on those right now. And so it's not just what are those levels, but it's really the ratio of those levels. That's what makes you a man, I mean, a woman, is the ratios of those levels. And the imbalances that occur are what create symptomatology. So we have to start with getting a little baseline look at everything and then how are those things working together in symphony and in a perfect balance. Perfect. Thank you for that explanation. That makes more sense. And for those of you who are listening, if you want to seem smarter to your friends or family, like say when you're sitting at the dinner table around the holidays, just repeat what Dr. Yerth just said, and they're going to all be going to you for their health concerns. So. Thanks for that, Dr. Earth. Obviously joking about that, but on a more serious note, we know that there's more involved here with hormonal issues, right? We have women who are in different phases of their life, whether they're menstruating or they're going through menopause or they're trying to conceive a child. So situations can become pretty complex, but for all of these different scenarios that women find themselves in throughout their lives, what are the, some of the most common root issues you find with hormone imbalances in women? So when we're talking about, about women, hormone imbalances actually start pretty young. Remember, we're meant, unfortunately, to really kind of conceive at a very young age, 18, 19, 20. And that's really even younger than that. I mean, if you think about back in the old days, you have babies when you're 16 and then you're pretty much done at 35. So we've pushed that timeline, right? And most of us aren't even thinking about having babies till 30. And so one of the issues is the hormones are designed back to the, old, to the old days. So our optimal hormones are when we're 16, 17, 18. And then things start changing. And one of the first things that starts happening at a very young age, really in your 30s potentially, is you start changing in terms of your progesterone levels. So your progesterone levels start dropping and you become what we call estrogen dominant. So, and again, that can be 30, 31. That's why it's harder to maintain a pregnancy when you're 33, 34, 35. Sometimes you have to give women progesterone to help them maintain the pregnancy, but even to get pregnant. So you have to have this ratio, and really the ratio has to be about 100 to 1 of progesterone to estrogen. But if you look at most women after the age of 30, it's not that. So people come in and what happens when you're estrogen dominant, which is a, that's what you, when you start to get perimenopausal, you become very, very estrogen dominant. Your progesterone levels now are almost non-existent. But you still have these nice high estrogen levels. So what does that create? So think about estrogen. I think it's what men think about women as. We're a little bit all over the place and a little bitchy and big breasts and big belly, all those things that you sort of think about with the fertility statue, well, that's all estrogen, right? So basically, if you have no progesterone to balance that out, your brain's not working quite as well. You're, you can't settle things down. You end up putting on fat, your breast tissue gets bigger. So you need progesterone to balance that out. So as soon as progesterone levels start dropping, you'll start seeing that. And again, that can occur really, really young. I have a lot of 28-year-olds who I have to put on progesterone because they're irritable and mean and they don't sleep. So progesterone, think of it as the balance, right? It's what helps you sleep. It settles you down. It balances the uterine lining. So estrogen makes the uterine lining big and thick and grow. And then progesterone balances that. And so if you don't have progesterone, then women will start having heavy periods. They'll, as they start to get into that perimenopause phase, they'll just be bleeding irregularly because the, the uterus is just working on estrogen. There's no progesterone to say, okay, keep the uterus in line. Now go away, uterus bleeds. 
So you have to get progesterone on board. So that's, I think, one of the, the first things that almost always brings people in. Without progesterone, you don't sleep well and you have a lot of anxiety. Progesterone is a neurostabilizer. It's really good for our brains, relaxes our brains. Think of it as sort of the hormonal Valium in a sense. So it's sort of settling your brain down, making you be able to think more clearly. And it's a great antidepressant. One of the things that happens when you have a baby, what causes postpartum depression is your progesterone levels in that third trimester of pregnancy are, are nice and high, but they drop dramatically once the baby's born. So now you have no progesterone on board and you become very, very depressed. You're not sleeping because of the baby, but also you have no progesterone and you start getting very depressed. So that's one of the things that happens postpartum. And instead of putting people on, on antidepressants, you can put them on a little bit of progesterone to really help with that. So I think that's one of the really key hormones that you have to look at. And then when you look at androgens, so testosterone, I think it's the forgotten hormone in women, right? Because we always think about testosterone for our men and we forget it for our women. But testosterone levels also start to drop at a pretty young age. And so women now, somebody says, oh, you got to go to the gym and exercise. But they go to the gym and they exercise and they'll put on any muscle. And they're like, well, this is worthless. And so then they stop doing their exercise because they're not getting any benefits out. They're not losing fat. They're not putting on muscle. And that's because if they have no androgens, if they have no testosterone, you can go, if there's zero testosterone, I can send you to the gym all day long and have you lift weights and you're not going to get any stronger. You have to have some androgens on board. Estrogens help with muscle building too, but you have to have some testosterone on board. And most women, as they start to get into their perimenopause age, don't have testosterone on board. But remember that the same thing happens with all your young girls who are on birth control pills. So what do birth control pills do? They are going to actually lower testosterone. So that's going to be a key in young women as well. That's so interesting. I love how you use that example of progesterone being the hormone Valium. It makes so much sense. And you have to keep all these hormones in proper balance. So if the hormones are some of the bottom root causes of some of these dysfunction that women occur, our experience as they get older, can you discuss a little bit maybe some of the reasons why those hormones might be off uh, earlier on in a woman's stage of life and what that means as they become older and actually start getting diagnosed with other conditions and developing symptoms and, and signs of hormonal imbalances? Some of it is just that our, for men, testicular function reduces, for women, ovarian function reduces. That's just natural with age. That's just what happens with age. We're meant to reproduce young. And then we sort of, our body say, ah, you don't need any ovarian function anymore, which would be fine if you died at 30, but we want to live to be 120. You can't live without hormones. So really it's just this matter of you start getting loss of the gonadal function. And there's ways, some people that happens at a much later stage than others, because there's certain health factors that will sort of keep that around longer. But some of that's out of our control. Some of it's genetic pieces. Some of it's how many babies you had in your life, things like that. So, and diets and exercise all play a role in sort of keeping hormonal function up as well. So basically, some of it is just kind of this natural process that occurs so that you're not going to be able to help. But there's other things that happen, right? For instance, when you're under a lot of stress, your body does what's called progesterone steal. It actually takes the progesterone to help make cortisol. And so you actually, so that's when you look at women who are under a whole lot of stress, they'll start to exhibit more and more anxiety symptoms. And that's because they've dropped, even though their cortisol levels are still doing okay, they've stole the progesterone to make cortisol. So stress situations can accelerate some of these processes. And so can things that are exterior that interfere with our production. So a lot of xenoestrogens that are in our environment, plastics and BPAs and estrogens that are in waters and, and foods, 
So if you're needing non-organic dairy or non-organic milk, those have a lot of estrogens in them. So now we're exogenously giving both our men and women an estrogenic source, and that's going to also create imbalances. So people who are not eating organic foods or eating a lot of you know non-organic dairy, things like that, they're going to be getting estrogen. That's going to make them even more estrogen dominant. That's in your younger population and your older population. Okay, very good to know. So it's clear that root causes can overlap between different conditions. Is that correct? Of course. I mean, in fact, in fact they usually do, right? There's usually not one, even if you're living in the perfect environment, there's going to be things, your genetics or your environment is dishing out to you. It's going to influence and make you potentially be aging faster or changing your hormones more rapidly. Okay. So just out of curiosity, Dr. Earth, how common are hormone imbalances in women? And what are the most common diagnoses that females get with these conditions? So, I mean, universal. (laughs) I don't think you see any woman, I mean, certainly I get a warped population, right? Because I have the people who are coming here to say, oh my God, I don't feel well, blah, blah, blah. So we're going to get the warped population. But even if you randomly just pull every woman out of the population and you check hormones, there are going to be very few, potentially probably over the age of 35, who have, quote, normal, perfectly balanced hormones. So when you say how many, it's going to be almost everybody. And, you know, and partly because of the world we live in and the stresses we're under and, and changes in blue light exposure and all these things that change our circadian balance. So there's tons of things that influence that. But 100% of people who come into my office have hormone imbalances, even our 25-year-olds. So I'm going to come from a warped side. But we know from studies that even if you take somebody who feels great and everything's perfect, that you can find imbalances in their hormones that are indirectly or sort of in the background affecting their overall longevity and well-being and health. And so that's where I, I think sometimes the problem with, with everybody, with all of us, is we don't start thinking about our issues until we're sick, until we don't feel well, right? Like if I feel great, I and mean, I feel great, so should I even do anything? And yes, because ultimately, I'm going to live to be 150 and I'm going to be healthy at 150, then I better have everything in order. And there's a lot of background stuff going on that you don't know about. So I would tell you that almost everybody should know what their hormones are doing starting at a young age. And we'll talk about how we look at metabolism and how that, how you should know that even at a young age, that that's going to be universal. Now, you know, what symptoms do people come in with? So when they walk in, that's, I would say the number one thing that brings the women into our office is anxiety, irritability, poor sleep, and weight. I mean, weight is always kind of at the forefront. Unfortunately, I would wish people would come in saying, I need to put on muscle, but they come in saying, I'm too fat. And I would rather women stop focusing on fat and start focusing on muscle. But ultimately, that's what brings a lot of people in. And the hormone imbalances are certainly paramount in helping you lose weight. That's very true. And we know that muscle is the organ of longevity. So it's very true. The more muscle you have, obviously, you're going to impact hormones in other ways. But I think you made a really good point. And the bottom line is, Dr. Earth, as you mentioned, women are just smarter than men because women often go to the doctor much sooner than men do to find out if something is actually going wrong. I think most men put things off the side. So at least women know that, hey, I should probably get something checked out before it becomes a really big problem. But you talked about a couple of the symptoms as well that females can start to experience. So such as weight gain and maybe even skin issues or something along those lines as early signs. What would be some tools for early detection? Well, usually you can start with just simple blood tests. So you can actually look at some simple blood tests and you know that's looking at your estrogen levels, your progesterone levels, your testosterone levels. After when you look at things like testosterone, 
you can't just look at total testosterone because some of that testosterone is in a bound form. And the testosterone that's available for us as women and you as men is free or bioavailable testosterone. So a lot of times doctors just check testosterone. They go, oh, your testosterone's fine. Well, we have something called sex hormone binding globulin that binds our testosterone. And it's one of the things birth control pills do. Birth control pills raise sex hormone binding globulin. So no woman on birth control pills has adequate free testosterone, none. Their testosterone levels may measure okay, but they have super high levels of sex hormone binding globulin. So it's all in a bound, not available form. So it's one of the problems that happens with birth control pills. And one of the downsides is once you stop the birth control pills, that can go on for years afterwards. So the sex hormone binding globulin can stay elevated. So women will come in after being on birth control pills and they're still feeling you know, like they can't lose weight, they can't put on muscle. And that's because they have these high sex hormone binding globulin levels that's binding off their available testosterone. So they have no available testosterone. So you have to actually measure free testosterone levels to get an idea of what's going on with androgens in both men and in women. And then you know, one of the things that we do in our younger women and in our women after we get them going on hormones, because initially when they come in, lots of times their hormone levels are pretty low. So we'll have to start on them. But younger women who are making a fair amount of hormones, we actually will do a test that's a urine metabolite test. So we use something called the DUTCH test, stands for Dried Urine Test of Complete Hormones. And it's just a little test that people can do at home. They pee on a little piece of paper four times throughout the day. And that tells us how the hormones are being metabolized. Because just estrogen has different forms that it can go into. So if I give you estradiol or I give you even testosterone as a guy, so testosterone metabolizes into estrogen, whether it be in you or in me. And then it can go down three different pathways. So it can go down a really good pathway called 2-hydroxyestrogen. That's going to be really protective to you. Or it can go down a 4-hydroxy pathway, which is not a good pathway. And that pathway actually creates what's called a reactive quinone, damages DNA, leads to cancer and things like that. And then 16-hydroxyestrogen, which is somewhere in the middle. So one of my sort of things that I really emphasize that doesn't get done very adequately in medicine, even in a lot of functional medicine clinics, I don't think, especially if, I'm, if you're young, if you're 25 and you're somebody who has a family history of breast cancer, very likely you have a metabolism pathway that's sending your estrogens down a bad metabolite. And if we know that, we can do very simple things to change that metabolism. Same thing's true if I put you on hormones. If I put you on hormones and you took all that hormone and you metabolize it down a dangerous pathway, then likely I did cause cancer in you. But if I make sure it's all metabolizing down a safe pathway, then likely I protected you from cancer. So I'm really kind of passionate that when you put people on hormones, or if I'm looking at young women who have their own hormones, then we know what's happening to the hormones. So we really are, we emphasize a lot of following hormones with urine metabolite testing. And there's a couple of companies that do that. We really like the Dutch test for it, but there's a couple of companies that do that. Very interesting. That's great news for all the women who are dealing with potential hormones or have family or relatives that have experienced other cancers related to hormonal issues. So glad to hear that. Now, Dr. Yurth, I want to change the direction a little bit here because you've talked about a couple of these other different body systems. You talked about cortisol a little bit earlier, and you talked about some of the neurological conditions people experience. And so I want to give our audience a little bit of a further bigger picture of how all of these different body systems work together, even down to the cellular level. So can you talk about what other organ and body systems are impacted by hormones, specifically, obviously, female hormones and how they're all involved? Sure. So when you look at all of the axes, so we have basically our gonadal axis, that's our testicular function, our ovarian function, which is making our estrogens, progesterone, testosterone. And then we have our pituitary, which is kind of the master 
gland in our little brain, right? And pituitary signals the thyroid and the adrenal glands. And those all play a role. As we talked about, for instance, if I'm stressed, my adrenal glands, I can't make enough cortisol, my adrenal glands start taking progesterone to make cortisol. So, so they all play back and forth. But what is basically telling your ovaries to work is your pituitary gland. So the pituitary gland produces luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, thyroid-stimulating hormone. It produces all the things that tell your other organs what to do. So it's kind of that master regulator. It's also kind of working on the adrenal function as well. So if there's something going wrong with the pituitary, like tumors or things like that, that can disrupt things. But the adrenal glands are really important, especially for women, in terms of our androgens. So where do we get androgens from? We don't have testicles. So we get our androgens from the adrenal glands making something called DHEA. And then DHEA converts down into the androgenic pathways, into testosterone, and then ultimately the androsterone, which is our most anabolic hormone. So if the adrenal glands are really tired or you're really stressed, right? Then the adrenal glands do two things. Think about them as a kind of a balance between anabolic, which is getting strong and happy, and catabolic, which is stress and breakdown. And we always want to be a little more anabolic than catabolic. We don't want to be always breaking down. That's age and death, right? We're in this kind of downward spiral. So we always want a balance between DHEA, our anabolic hormones, and cortisol, our catabolic hormone. You can't survive without some cortisol, right? You need cortisol because it helps you manage stress. Too much cortisol, you do two things. Number one, my adrenal glands sense I'm under stress. They put all of their money into cortisol. So they're going to stop making DHEA. So now I've got a problem. I'm blocked all my nice androgens that made me feel better, help me heal, help me recover. And I'm producing tons of cortisol. And that's keeping me alive for a while. But eventually, the adrenal glands can't do that anymore. They just go, okay, well, now we're really shot our wad. Now we can't make any more DHEA. I can't make any more cortisol. And now you really feel like complete hell. You, you basically, now you have no cortisol. So any little stressor that happens to you is the end of the world. So some point you go into this kind of adrenal exhaustion state. Now you're not making androgens, you're not making cortisol. You feel like you want to just crawl into your desk and die. So sometimes you have to actually help the adrenal glands to recover. And, and that can be replacing DHEA and cortisol in some people. And it can be using what we call adaptogens to help perk the adrenal gland back up. So using things like ashwagandha and rhodiola and things that help adrenal function back up to help the adrenal glands to survive. And then you've got your thyroid. So now the other thing the pituitary is doing is telling the thyroid because the thyroid, adrenal, pituitary, and hypothalamic functional balance. And so the thyroid is, and people always think about the thyroid for weight gain, and it's a big player, but here's the way doctors test thyroid. They basically run a TSH test, thyroid stimulating hormone, which is not a thyroid hormone, right? Your pituitary produces thyroid stimulating hormone when it senses that the body needs more thyroid hormone. So if my thyroid's not working well, so thyroid's big gland right here, if my thyroid's not working well and it's not producing enough thyroid to keep me healthy and happy, then the pituitary gland goes, come on, thyroid, work harder. And it raises TSH. So docs will look at your TSH and go, oh, TSH is high, let's give her some thyroid. And the problem is some of those numbers are way, by the time your thyroid is not normal on labs, you're feeling pretty darn bad and you're probably fat and feel miserable. So what we consider optimal ranges is very different from regular range. The other problem is that TSH tells the thyroid to produce something called T4. And T4 is helpful. What's the most metabolically active thyroid hormone is the conversion of T4 into T3. And no docs measure that. Functional medicine docs do. But your regular doc measures the TSH. TSH is normal, you're fine. 
in reality, if you don't have adequate estrogens, for instance, instance, T4 doesn't convert into T3. And so now your TSH looks fine because it's responding. It says T4 is normal, but you have no T3. So now you're fat and you have no energy and you can't figure out why. And your doctor says, hey, your thyroid's fine. I don't know why. So you have to do things. You have to give a little thyroid, but you also have to fix the estrogen so that T4 can convert back into T3. So that's all very intricately related and you have to do the right testing. So if I'm looking at thyroid function, I've got to look at not just TSH, but a T3, a T4. And then remember, we talked about the free testosterone. The same thing's true about thyroid. There's free thyroid and bound thyroid and the free thyroid is the one that's available to you. So those all have to be looked at. And that way, maybe why you're feeling fat and sluggish and people keep telling you thyroid's okay is because nobody actually measured the right thing, which is that free T3 or free thyroid level. And that's a huge, huge issue. The number of women I see and men who have normal TSHs, but their T3 is in the dumper is huge. That's so true. Your discussion about the different axis systems, as you mentioned, we have the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, the hypothalamic pituitary gonadal, the hypothalamic pituitary thyroid. It reminds me of that song, your ankle bone is connected to your <laughs> knee bone, your knee bone exactly. is connected to your hip bone. And it's so true. I always like to use the analogy of a, also a very expensive sports car, which really ties in everything that you can wash and wax the exterior of that sports car all day long to make it all shiny and beautiful. But if you don't change the oil, if you don't rotate the tires, you're not going to have a very overall well-working sports car. So everything has to right. be working together and also is connected all at the same time. And that's important to run optimally. So thank you for diving into that. Now, you just started talking about some of the testing, which is really, really important for women who are suffering with hormonal conditions. So you talked a little bit about some of the thyroid testing with TSH and, and getting making sure that they're getting the T4 and the active T3 checked. Can you dive again a little bit deeper into some of the tests that you like to run for your female hormone patients, as well as how those might differ from, say, your standard testing that a, a woman might get at her general practitioner's office? Well, I think number one, the general practitioner never checks hormones. <laughs> I mean, honestly, they just don't. Sometimes they will just, if a woman comes in and they're perimenopausal and they're saying all these things, you know, that the doc's like, oh, we'll put you on a little hormones and they throw them on some standard hormones. And, and the problem is that that may not be the right dose. It may not be the right type. It may not be what you need. So you come into your primary care doc and you're complaining of hot flashes, for instance, and they go, okay, well, let's just put you on a little Vibel dot, which is estrogen. And there's some confusion in the sort of, I think, even in the functional medicine doctor world. So estradiol is estradiol. Whether it's bioidentical compounded from the pharmacy, we always emphasize you have to be on bioidentical hormones, which is true. But I will tell you, pharmaceutical estradiol is the same thing as compounded estradiol. So get that misnomer out of there. Now, progesterone is a different story. Progesterone is not bioidentical. So if your doc puts you on Premarin, for instance, that is not progesterone. That is progestins. And progestins are completely structurally different from progesterone. They don't have the same mechanism of action and they are indeed carcinogenic. So you have to be on bioidentical progesterone and you can be on estradiol. We'll have, we have it compounded because we like to dose it a certain way, but you can use patches and things like that as well. So when so I, I would first say that I think it rarely actually gets tested. <laughs> so people just put them on hormones. They have no idea what the dosing should be because they don't know what the levels are, which is ridiculous, but that's what happens. So you've got to know what the levels are. And then you never would put a woman coming in with complaints of hot flashes just on estrogen and not balance that with progesterone. 
So the first thing I would emphasize is that you've got to have somebody do the testing. You know, as I said, we do the dried urine metabolite testing once we've had women on hormones or if they're coming in younger and they're making their own hormones, we'll do the metabolite testing. But that's the first thing is you've got to look at. So when we run a panel, we're looking at estradiol levels, estrone levels, testosterone free and total levels, sex hormone binding globulin. We're looking at, you know, progesterone levels. We're looking at TSH, free T3, free T4. We look at cortisol. We look at DHEA. So you can get a balance of all those things. We look at FSH, LH. So those allow us to put together all of the pieces of the puzzle. So now my treatment isn't just willy-nilly store everybody on the same dose of hormones. It's going to be very dictated to what those values show. I see this all the time. These women come in and they're like, I don't feel any better than my doctor put me on hormones. And they put them on an estradiol patch and it wasn't the right dose for them and they didn't balance it out with anything else. So testing is really important. It really is. You just can't make guesses in medicine. You have to have information. So I, I would say that that's the first thing I would say is just test, even if it's just simple blood tests. And again, then we follow up using these urine metabolite testing, as you and I talked about before, which is that Dutch testing that we do. So that's kind of where you've got to start and get a baseline of what's going on. I love that. It's all about testing, not guessing. No point in wasting time, spinning your wheels, trying to pretend you have x-ray vision and just get the proper testing done. And as well as not just the proper testing, but enough testing. It's as similar if somebody breaks their ankle, you don't want to just get one view of an x-ray. You want to get multiple different views of that ankle so you know where that fracture might be or how severe that fracture might be. So absolutely test, don't guess. Dr. Yurth, what about the women who are trying to conceive or say are going through something like menopause though? Do the same tests apply to that uh, demographic? I mean, I do. I mean, particularly with conception, you have to have that progesterone-estrogen ratio at 100 to 1. So you need a lot of progesterone to conceive. So that's a place where you really have to balance that out. And we know that thyroid is absolutely critical. And especially that T3 value, we know that that T3 value has to be relatively high for conception. So if women are even mildly hypothyroid, conception becomes much, much more difficult. And that gets neglected. Docs will, will put people in range. Some good studies that support that you have to push them to the, the higher end, the better end of the range in order to really get conception. So you've got to get that, that, estrogen, that progesterone to estrogen ratio 100 to 1, and you have to get thyroid to a really optimal range for conception. Again, as we said, that's why conception becomes much more difficult after 30 is because progesterone levels almost always drop and women are estrogen dominant. So that is a place where you absolutely have to know those values and you have to optimize them. So we really, we work with a lot of women who are trying to get pregnant and you know, and there's lots of things you can do that sort of help. You have to get, you've got to get rid of a lot of inflammatory markers as well, things like that to get inflammation down. You can't be in an inflamed state and concede. You have to have thyroid optimized, can't be overly stressed. But, you know, the body doesn't want to have a baby when you're in a horribly stressed state. So that has to be addressed. And then that perimenopause, kind of almost the same things happening is that you becoming completely, except to a worse extent, super estrogen dominant. So again, that's where you're going to get the kind of that belly fat gets put on. Those women have these kind of bigger breasts. It's all that estrogen dominance. And so remember, fat cells make estrogen. So there's this kind of piece of as women start putting on fat because their hormones are not balanced, now they're even making more estrogen because the fat cells make estrogen in and of themselves. So that's where that ratio becomes really, really important to optimize. That's very interesting. Dr. Yurth, you brought up a really, really good point, which is on the actual ranges. Can you discuss a little bit the difference between, say, maybe the standard ranges that somebody might get at their, again, traditional office and why we need to, or why you might be looking at, say, an optimal range for a patient and how those two types of ranges really differ 
and how it affects and impacts the patient. Yeah, that's huge because normal ranges in medicine, you know, you see this bell curve like this, right? And normal ranges are designed for illness, meaning if you're outside that bell curve, you are sick. So when you look at that, I don't really want to be on this bell curve. So, you know, these docs looking, oh, you're fine. Well, what if I'm 0.1 into the normal range? Is that fine? No, of course not. The people who feel best are going to be in what we call optimal ranges. That's the range for feeling really good and building muscle and living forever, right? And so those values are completely different. For instance, thyroid, TSH levels are ridiculous because you can say a TSH is normal from 0.1 to 4.0. There's no other lab value that has that discrepancy. So do you think the people with this at 4.0, which means the thyroid's really not working very well, feel the same? No. And in fact, they've done studies to show that the optimal range, you have to have a TSH level below 2.5. So we know that these lab values are designed for illness medicine, not for what we want to do, which is create super healthy human beings. So you've got to ignore that. And so when you do- all your doc will look at, when they look at the labs, is, is there anything that's marked red, right? Does it say high or low? And other than that, they'll have, you guys have all gone through this, right? They'll hand you your labs and say, looks good. And you're like, oh, I don't know, I don't feel well. And then I'll look at them and go, Jesus, this is not good. And there's a lot of simple little things we can look at on even a basic complete blood count that will tell me the patient's not doing well because they're not in optimal range. We look at, at labs in a very, very different fashion. And then remember that a lot of times when hormones are reported, they're reported for age-matched controls. So if you're 60, do you want the hormones of a 60-year-old? Yes, you're normal for 60. Well, that's not what you want. You want to be normal for 20s, right? Because that's where you are super healthy. So if you as a guy and I measure your testosterone levels and I go, yeah, they're great. They're 300. Well, you know, you know, so I've got, you know, these 50-year-old guys who come in with testosterone levels that are fine. No, they're not fine. They're five times less than what they were when they were 25, right? When they felt great and they had sex drive and good erections and all that stuff. And so, and then and the other thing you have to remember is that what is fine for one person might not necessarily be fine for another. So I have guys who may feel great with a, a not super high testosterone. And I have guys who I've got to run their testosterone higher or they're not going to feel good. So even within our own selves, even with that optimal range, what's optimal for one person might not necessarily be optimal for another. I have women, some women who feel horrible with their progesterone running on the higher end and some women who that's, they're in hog heaven, they feel wonderful. So I think there's that, that personalized approach to it too. It's not being restrained by lab values. Oh, I'm not going to treat you any further because your lab values are already optimal. Well, are they optimal for you? If you don't feel good, then probably not. So you have to listen to your patients too and treat within that realm. Thank you for your insight there. You brought up a really additionally great point, which is again, that each of us have our own unique, what's called a biochemical individuality that I might respond to a different diet or supplement than 10 other people. And so that means that I might not be best suited for getting that same diet or supplement as 10 other people. And as you're saying, you really have to work with your patients and not only dialing in to a normal optimal range, but what's optimal for them individually. So it's very, very true. Thanks for talking about that. Yeah, that's a huge problem, right? I mean, you guys have all experienced this where you go into your doctor and you're like, I know you put me on the thyroid, but I still feel horrible. And maybe there's something else going on, but maybe your thyroid's still not optimal for you, right? You've got to listen to your patient. You can't discount what they're telling you. So use the labs as a guide and use what your patient's feeling as the ultimate treatment plan. Speaking of treatment plans, Dr. Yerth, let's discuss some of the treatment plans once that women get the proper testing done. Can you give us some insight into what treatment options are available for women? 
And what about things like hormone replacement therapy? Is that an option as well that women can utilize? Or what's your basis on that? So yes, I think almost everybody needs hormone replacement is after you get to a certain age, right? Might that be 30? Yes. And might it be 60? Yes. You don't know. It depends on, on how you're doing. So we put together this course. It was called What to Fix First. You guys can find it on our Human Optimization Academy site. So basically, you go to BLI.academy, this whole course. And it was, it was put together exactly for this. Because when I sat down, I listened to people with their complaints. And they'd go, I'm going to the gym and I'm eating right. And I'm all this, doing all this stuff. And I'm not losing any weight and I'm not feeling any better. And they really are kind of doing everything right. And so we really, in that What to Fix First, first course, when I came down to it and I sat there and racked my brain on what do you fix first and people who come in complaining... Yeah, you know, hormones really are in that, that bottom rung. You've got to get the hormones better. As I said, I can't tell you to wake up and feel great when you didn't sleep because you have no progesterone. Or if you're a guy you know, who's got horrible belly fat, I can't say, you know, just drink less beer when you're not eat, drinking beer, and, you know, but you have no testosterone. So you've got to optimize hormones. And so then there's lots of options. I mean, we, so as I said, we, you need to use bioidentical hormones, but bioidentical can still come from a pharmacy. It doesn't all have to be, you know, I think, you know, doctors go bioidentical hormone. That's, you know, so they sort of trash functional medicine because we're like bioidentical. And estradiol is estradiol. Now, we like to mix and match with different forms. So we like to have a compounded progesterone. And again, it's a completely different structure. Premarin, which a lot of women are put on, is not progesterone. So usually use transdermal for women, transdermal hormones for estrogen, because we know that estrogens are not great for the liver. So two things happen if you take oral estrogens, like what's in birth control pills, or women who are put on, I hate to see it, but they do, still get put on oral estrogen pills. Well, when estrogen goes to the liver, number one, it's a little liver toxic, so it can cause cystic and fatty changes to the liver. Number two, once it goes through the metabolism of the liver, it creates a metabolite that can actually increase blood clots. So when women say, oh, estrogen causes blood clots, it only does if it's given orally. That's why birth control pills can cause blood clots. Transdermal estrogen has no effect on blood clotting because it's the metabolite once it's gone through the liver that creates blood clotting. So you absolutely have to use estrogens transdermally, either as a cream that you can have made or as a patch or a gel, but you have to use them transdermally, not orally, or you're going to increase risk of blood clots and strokes. But transdermally, that risk does not exist. And I fight with doctors all the time on this. And I, you know, but the literature is very, very clear on that. So the other problem, if you use testosterone orally, and there's actually a new testosterone that's available now orally that seems to be safe to the liver, but testosterone CPNA, which is usually what we use, also can cause liver changes. So we know that it can cause fibrotic changes to the liver. It can cause fatty liver changes. It can lead to hepatocellular cancer. So we don't like testosterone orally either. So we usually either use testosterone transdermally, just like estrogen. And we have these little sort of clicker things. You just do a little clicking, you rub it on its forearm, and it's great. You do that once a day and it's really easy and then bypass the liver and you get all the good effects. You can also use testosterone as an injectable. Lots of times we'll do that in our men. They seem to like injectables better and women seem to like transdermals better, but you can use either. You can, I have women who I have on subcutaneous injections and it can just be a little, you don't have to do a big IM injection of testosterone just into the little fatty tissue. It's easy to do. So testosterone has to be again, transdermally or given as an injection. Again, not orally or causes liver changes. And then progesterone can be given orally. In fact, it has better, it crosses the blood-brain barrier a little bit better given orally. So you can get a little more brain effects orally. Some people get too sedated for it, in which case we can use it transdermally to still get some of the other benefits of it, which is good for joint health, it's good for uterine protection and all the other things. Fascinating. Thank you for covering some of those different treatment options. I think there's some really good news for women who are obviously dealing with hormonal issues out there. 
But for that one group of women, as you discussed, who are doing all of the right things, they're exercising, they're eating right, but they're still dealing with symptoms. Maybe they're having irregular periods. Maybe they still can't lose weight. Maybe they're having hot flushes, night sweats, digestive issues. Can you shine some light on that predicament a little bit more that many women out there still experience? I mean, that's exactly what we were just talking about. And that's why when I did this What to Fix First course, I said, you know what? You're not going to get there unless you get the hormones optimized. Because if you're sitting there with no testosterone and you're estrogen dominant, you're going to put on fat and you're not going to build muscle and you're not going to lose weight and you're not going to feel energy and you're not going to sleep well. And if you don't sleep well, everything gets compounded, right? So those people, I really emphasize to you guys, you got to go get it, you know, work with a good doc who understands hormones, who do, will do appropriate testing, will follow it appropriately and get those optimized. Because you know, clearly until the thyroid is optimized, until the testosterone, estrogen, progesterone are optimized, you're not going to make much progress. You've got to get things back to how they, I mean, that's why in their 20s, you're like, oh, it's easy to lose weight and I feel good and blah, blah, blah. Because your hormones were in a much better level than they are now. And you've got to get the thyroid and then you have to, you may have to work on some of the stress management. And then if women still aren't losing weight, so you've gotten all their hormones optimized, the thyroid looks great and they're still like, oh man, I'm still fat and I'm still, you know, this sucks. I'm still not getting any better. Then you got to look at other issues. And, you know, lots of times those are inflammatory problems where there's a lot of inflammation going on. Lots of times people have not great glucose control. So we have to, even if they're eating a good diet, I mean, I have somebody who, I had a pristine diet, but my glucose just genetically, I struggle with it. And so you sometimes you have to use things that lower insulin levels. And so, Sometimes we'll work with really monitoring glucose. We'll have people use a, a continuous glucose monitor and monitor glucose levels so we know what's happening. Why, you know, why aren't you losing weight? It's because your glucose is just spiking all over the place. And every time your glucose spikes, you release insulin and insulin tells your body to store fat. So sometimes you've got to glean more information about what's going on metabolically because even when everything is optimized, you know, sometimes maybe something you're eating is still creating insulin spikes. So you've got to measure insulin levels in these women insulin levels are greater than 12, it's very, very hard to lose fat. And then we have to sometimes, you know, if we, if we can't control that with diet and, you know, dietary changes, sometimes we have to use medications to do that. Like we'll use metformin and, our, you know, people to help lower insulin levels so that we can actually help them lose weight. We use a new line of drug called GLP-1 agonists, which are great and actually make your brain, they're great for weight loss. They're game changers in weight loss. And so lots of times you have to go to that next step, but you've always got to start with the basic easy things, which is fixing the hormones. And then if you're not losing weight, you got to delve into metabolism. Dr. Yurth, it was so nice to have you on the podcast today. You gave us a ton of great value, really how understanding how these hormones are impacting our health, some of the root causes of it, and really dived into some of the different science approaches and background that I know many practitioners out there listening or just going to be getting giddy about. So thank you for that. I have just one last question for you today. What would be one piece of advice that you can give to our listeners who have a wife, a sister, a partner, a daughter or cousin, or anybody else that they know who are dealing with hormonal symptoms or conditions such as what we talked about today? I think if you can find a practitioner to work with, it's going to be your team member, not somebody who's just telling you what to do but looking for a practitioner that's going to sit down with you and be your team member. I have patients all the time teach me things. They bring me an article. They go, I think this is what's wrong with me. And maybe something I've never heard of, but I'm going to listen to them and I'm going to read the article and I'm going to say, okay, let's try it. You see, you've got to find, I don't think there should be this doctor-patient relationship. You should be working together as a team. My patients often teach me as much as I teach them. And so you really got to look for a practitioner that does that. I mean, you know, we work with patients all over the world and because of Zoom, it's easy now, right, to do that. 
So, and then if you can't find somebody like that, then you know, start listening to these podcasts, start learning. You can actually order some of your own lab tests and look at them. But you know, but if you can find a team to put together, somebody who's going to sit there and talk to you and work with you, that's going to go such a long way. For you can team with that person for the rest of your life, and that's going to be how you're going to be 120 and still living well and doing all the things you want to do. Fantastic advice. Thank you, Dr. Yurst, again. For those of you who are listening, Dr. Yurst, where can everybody find you and learn more about you? So I'm at Boulder Longevity. So if you just Google boulderlongevity.com and look at our website, there's a lot of information. And then if you guys want to learn, we actually realize that doctors uh, sometimes are hard to find. So we actually have put a whole education program. So if you go to bli.academy, you can join that academy. And our goal with that academy is actually to teach you guys like doctors should be learning based by on scientific data, help you guys to understand the evidence that's out there where I'm passionate about reading literally two hours every night. So we're trying to get you the newest, best thing and then sharing, digesting it, sharing it with you guys so you understand where medicine's going because medicine is doing the same thing for 30 years and you've got to be moving forward faster than that if you want to really be healthy. So join bli.academy so you guys can learn some of this stuff on your own. But we welcome you know, virtual consults. We'll, we're happy to talk to you. Just go to Border Longevity. You can fill out our information there and somebody will contact you. Thanks again, Dr. Yurith. It was a pleasure and we will see you next time. Thanks, Evan. Bye. The Root Cause Medicine Podcast is brought to you by Rupa Health. To find out more about us and how we are changing the lives of patients and practitioners across the U.S., head to rupahealth.com. And then make sure to search for Root Cause Medicine in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere good podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Rupa Health, thanks for listening.